I don't want to go on blast with this. What? No, I'm not going to say it. What? It's so uncontroversial. Say it, then. I want to use it. <laughs> it's so... I walked in, right? Yeah. Obviously, it was daylight. It was sunny earlier. We didn't have the lights on. It's getting darker. I came yeah. in and I see these two lips on. I'm just going to say outright, because mm. I see TikToks about this. I see memes about this. I'm a big light advocate, okay? Sure. I turn the light on the living room. I turn the big light on. Every, I feel like everyone in this generation oh. is anti-big light. Well, I mean, it's, anti- not, it's not big lighting. It's, it's overhead lighting. Well, I yeah. guess, but like... It's I also like the fluorescent sort of like... The shitty overhead lighting is more of a It's thing. not shitty. It's absolutely fine. It's it keeps the room. You know what I like about it? I can see things. This is a this is a gay stereotype that I have seen observed almost to the T with all gay people I know of any gender identity. It is lamps and not overhead lighting. Oh, you may be the only queer person I know that is into overhead lighting. I just don't want... I... <laughs> when I can't see... Th- like, when it's too dark to, like, see things in the room in, that aren't, like... Because I can't see color correctly right. in the room. So that's what bothers me. Like, if I can see things, yes, but it's like the color of everything is off. And yeah, I lied. I think I might be using this. <laughs> I don't care. You can use it. what didn't and how they would fix it. I am Chris Stunzi or Sitsi Ravel. <laughs> I am Lee. I prefer more flavorsome vegetables. Don't hate <laughs> And I am Brendan. I have immortal longings in me. Drishler. Ah, and if you can't tell by those extremely distinct nicknames... But you can probably tell by the fact that I'm dressed up as a pyramid right now, right? <laughs> right. And yes, with my head atop a pyramid, wearing a big hat, making you all look at me. Classic look. Yes, hang on, let me get off of here. Beautiful wig. Um, yeah, we did uh, the 2022 film Death on the Nile. Ooh. Uh, the the sequel to the Kenneth Branagh um, Murder on Murder the Orient Express. Express. Um, and yeah, this has... Uh, uh, still a murderous row, but you know, slightly less of a yeah, murderous row. Perhaps a little less starry. Uh, with Annette Benning, Russell Brand, Don French, Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Rose Leslie, Emma Mackey, Sophie Okendo. Okan- I think it's Okanado. Okanado? I looked it up because I want to remember how to pronounce it, and I feel like I have three different pronunciations. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, like, Okanado. Uh, Jennifer Saunders and Letitia Wright. Yeah. A real who's who of uh, canceled actors. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, truly, as we said earlier, perhaps the most cursed cast <laughs> in existence. Brent was concerned that it wasn't going to come up, but of course it has to. Like, yeah. I mean, it. We were we were wondering like, what would that have been like if you were the like PR public, right? Like, how do you advertise this? Apparently, Army Hammer. I don't know if you remember is barely in the trailer. There's like one quick, yeah, right. like, despite the fact that he is arguably like the third or fourth lead in this Something movie, like that. and he's. Spoilers, the killer. Right. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's um, you know CGI Egypt. Yep. There's a boat. A boat. A big old boat. Yeah. On, a, on, a, on a great Nile cruise. You know, but before we get into what this movie was like, or even what it's about, what did we drink? Uh, so the drink we made is enough champagne to fill the Nile. 
And it's two ounces of sparkling wine, 1.5 ounces of gin, one ounce of lemon juice, and one ounce of pomegranate juice. You just mix the gin, the lemon juice, and the palm juice together in a shaker with some ice, pour it into a wine flute, and top it with champagne, and garnish it with a lemon. A nice little, nice little sunset lemon. The way that Gal Gadot leads that line is truly baffling. It's remarkable. Like... I'm pretty, like <laughs> Enough champagne. To fill the dial. It's just like... I mean, with the same level of... Um, How is she directed? Plum and Ernesty that she did the fucking Imagine video of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this, I just want to point out... No, I guess we'll get to it during characters, but Brendan said that this movie made him wonder, is she actually a bad actor? Yeah, and I think we have the answer at this point. Yeah. At least I have my answer. Um, but what did you think of the drink? I thought it was great. It was it was good. It was you know what? A little too was it grapefruit? Palm. Palm. Yeah. Pomegranate. 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 It was so like something about it had like a little too much tartness for me. It's probably the palm. I would imagine it's the palm. Pomegranate can be pretty tart. It was too yeah, I needed a little like a little less or a little more sweetness to cut through it, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Um like the first couple sips were harder. It got easier as it went on. I think whatever sumped to the bottom. Was easier to drink, but... Once you dredged it up with your three claws yeah, yeah, on the yeah. end of a hook, Once yeah. Once I dredged the lake. <laughs> um, but the first couple of sips, it was just like pure sort of sour tart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh. And I have a, you know, it was a, it was a very slow sipper. And then <laughs> food came and I needed to wash it down. Right. That, that helped. But it was nice. It was refreshing. It had a beautiful a good color. Summer. Yeah, no, it was. It's, it's a, a perfectly bloody color for such a, <laughs> a death on the Nile. And also like... You know, pomegranate and lemons being kind of Middle Eastern. I liked that it was very citric. Yeah, yeah. Also um, underworldy. Yes, also underworldy. That's also true. Ooh, hey, save it for Venice. Yeah, them broads and their pomegranates can't stop eating them. Yeah. Um. Great. So now that we know what we had to get us through this situation, who wants to tell us? Well, I'll tell you, about. and I'll also tell you that this article's plot summary may be too long or excessively detailed, as per Wikipedia. <laughs> Is, wait, there, there's actually like a warning. There's a warning that, that says it, yes. That's, someone should edit this. Yeah, That's someone, absolutely hilarious. Someone should really get around to editing this. In World War One, a young Hercule Poirot devises a strategy to advance his Belgian infantry company. While his strategy is initially successful, a booby trap kills and injures many in the company as well as mutilating Hercule's face. His fiancée, Nurse Catherine, does not recoil, but suggests he could grow a mustache to hide his scars. <laughs> in 1937... And he's a, like, you know what? I think I will. <laughs> yes, this, this will be the basis of my character. In 1937, at London Club, Poirot watches as blues singer Salome Otterburn performs. He notices Jacqueline Jackie de Belfort is there with her fiancé, Simon Doyle. Jackie's childhood friend, heiress Lynette Ridgway, soon arrives. After meeting Simon, Lynette agrees to hire him as her land agent. Six weeks later, in Egypt, Poirot encounters his friend Book from the first movie and Book's mother, Euphemia, an artist. Book invites Poirot to join them at the hotel to celebrate the wedding of a surprising couple, Lynette and Simon. Others join their honeymoon trip. Lynette's maid, Louise Bourget, Salome and her niece slash manager, Rosalie, Lynette's school friend, oh, sorry, Rosalie, who is Lynette's school friend, Lynette's godmother, Marie Van Schuyler, with her nurse, Mrs. Bowers, Lynette's financial manager and cousin, Andrew Cachadorian, and Dr. Linus Windelsham, Lynette's former fiancé. Lynette asks Poirot for protection from the obsessive Jackie, who has stalked the couple to Egypt. Poirot cannot dissuade Jackie, who shows him she carries a gun. 
To escape Jackie, the group boards the cruise ship SS Karnak. Lynette tells Poirot she distrusts her guests. During an excursion to Abu Simbel, Book reveals he is dating Rosalie despite his mother's disapproval. Poirot finds himself attracted to Salome. After a boulder falls off a column nearly crushes Lynette and Simon, the couples return to the Karnak to discover Jackie has boarded. Poirot, affected by champagne, confides to Jackie that he renounced romance after Catherine died in a mortar explosion. Lynette goes to bed and Simon confronts Jackie, who shoots him in the leg. When she attempts to shoot herself, Rosalie and Book intervene. They take Jackie to Mrs. Bowers while Windlesham arrives to treat Simon. The following morning, Louise discovers Lynette has been fatally shot in the head. Lynette's valuable necklace has also been stolen. Poirot, assisted by Simon and Book, interrogates the guests, each of whom bears a grudge against Lynette or would benefit from her death. 1. Louise's engagement was ended by Lynette, who distrusted Louise's fiancé. 2. Windlesham was engaged to Lynette until she left him for Simon. 3. Andrew was embezzling from Lynette. 4. Bowers' formerly wealthy family was ruined by Lynette's father during the Great Depression. 5. Van Schuyler is a beneficiary of Lynette's will. She and Bowers are lovers. <laughs> 6. Salome and Rosalie were the targets of Lynette's racist remarks years ago. 7. Euphemia finds Lynette's necklace. Poirot suspects she resented Lynette for introducing Book to Rosalie. Jackie was monitored by Bowers all night. Her gun is dredged from the Nile, wrapped in Van Schuyler's missing scarf and a bloody handkerchief. Poirot reveals that Euphemia hired him to investigate Rosalie, who he concludes is more than worthy of her son's infection. Affection. Rosalie, and angry and her son's infections, too. Rosalie, angry at being investigated, storms off and discovers Louise's body. Her throat slit. Louise is found with money, so Poirot suspects that she witnessed Lynette's murder and blackmailed the killer. He sees a possible witness outline in the blood spatter. Interrogating Book with Simon, Poirot deduces that Book found Lynette dead and stole her necklace to gain financial freedom from his mother, but panicked and put it in Euphemia's belongings. Book witnessed Louise's murder, but before revealing her killer, he is shot through the throat and killed. Poirot chases the killer, but only finds the abandoned gun. Locking the surviving guests in the boat's saloon, Poirot reveals a solution to the mystery, that Simon killed Lynette, with Jackie as his accomplice and the mastermind. They are still lovers and arrange with Simon's romance with Lynette to inherit her wealth. Simon drugged Poirot Rose champagne and Jackie pretending to shoot Simon with a blank. Simon faked his injury with the paint stolen from Euphemia. While Jackie distracted Book and Rosalie, Simon killed Lynette and, returning to the saloon, shot his own leg, muffled by Van Schuyler's scarf. Jackie killed Louise with Windlesham's scalpel and Book with Andrew's gun. As a final clue, Poirot reveals the handkerchief that had been used in the fake shooting recovered along with the gun. Blood would have faded to brown in the Nile's waters, but the stains were the pale pink of faded paint. Faced with Poirot's irrefutable proof, Jackie embraces Simon and shoots him through the back, killing them both with one shot. As the passengers disembark, Poirot is unable to voice his feelings to Salome. Six months later, Poirot visits her club to watch her rehearse, sitting alone in the dark and unrecognized by the club owner due to his clean-shaven face. The end. Uh, and his unsightly I, upper lip. I yes. don't buy that ending. What specifically? Well, I don't believe... I don't really... That's extrapolation. What? That she doesn't recognize it because... Oh, I agree too, yeah. She doesn't I, recognize his clean-shaven face. Oh, it says unrecognized by the club owner, I guess. Oh, which, like, I wasn't paying too close attention. Like, I don't, like... Was the club yeah. owner his friend? Does he, like, know who he is in the first place? So? 
all time. Right. It's like, would he rec- would he remember him ever? Like, like, like would you remember him as like that fucking pain in the ass who kept lighting up penny fours and sending the back? Like, yeah, yeah. like, like, I know it was one too many. Take being, it back. Being picky about, couldn't decide which one to throw away. Yes. I mean, at least it wasn't eggs. Remember that? It had to be the perfect egg. Yeah. Yep. Sending that poor little kid all around for eggs. <laughs> um, so anyway, real quick, I'll just do a character breakdown of the cast. I mean, Tom Bateman was Book. Annette Benning was Euphemia Book's mother. Kenneth Branagh, of course, is Poirot. Russell Brand as Linus Windlesham, the doctor. Ali Faisal as Andrew Cachadorian, Lynette's cousin and trustee. Don French as Mrs. Bowers. Gal Gadot as Lynette Ridgway Doyle. Army Hammer as Simon Doyle. Rose Leslie as Louise Bourget. Emma Mackey as Jacqueline de Belfort. Sophie Okanedo as Salome Otterborn. Jennifer Saunders as Marie, Von S- Marie Van Schuyler. Letitia Wright as Rosalie Otterborn. And Susanna Fielding as Catherine. Don't know why we felt the need to give her her own heading in this list, but there he is. The woman who appears in, like, what? One minute of footage. Yeah. Anyway, there we are. That's Kenneth Branagh's A Death on the Nile. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so I think, like, the place to start with this, especially as as people who have been down this road before with mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh. Yes. Um, We've been down the road both with Kenneth Branagh and with Agatha Christie. Does everyone, you know, fuck with Agatha Christie? Are you so, a, so are do you, you, are you do a you Fagatha? Do you fuck with Agatha Christie? Are you a fagatha? Are you? Yeah. No, Lee wouldn't be a fagatha. Would you we'd be, be more like a hagatha? Yeah, we'd be would be fagathas. <laughs> Why are you both staring at me? <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. Did you have this conversation? Yeah, we, 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 we had this conversation. <laughs> we coined the terms fagatha and hagatha. Yeah. Fagatha for gay men who love Agatha Christie and hagatha for older women yeah. who love Agatha Christie. Um, I, I feel like I know a lot of hagathas. I have not, and I think we've talked about this, but yeah, well, I couldn't remember I, if we covered it because, much because. Um, I don't. I not. I. I really don't have like. I really never even dip my toe that much into her um, work, but I don't like. None of her characters appealed to me, mm-hmm. and I don't like that her detectives don't have like a buddy, a constant buddy. Yeah, right. like a Watson. Yeah, like a Watson. I don't know. I'm sure she's good at mystery writing, but I've never. Like, we all know that I'm not interested really in the mysteries. I'm interested right, in the characters. Right, the characters. Right. So like, even with Sherlock Holmes, which I latched onto early I think you had to you would have had to have gotten me quite early to get into Agatha Christie in the mm-hmm. same way um, I read all the books uh, the stories and, and whatnot, but then instantly was more gravitated towards like ideas about Sherlock Holmes that other people explored versus what's in the quote unquote canon right. of literature that Dur- the Doyle wrote so no I don't I don't, I'm not a Hagatha <laughs> I think I'm a Fagatha I like her work I like I like adaptations of them I, they're very cozy I think we talked about this maybe yeah with Orient Express as well but I, I find them very comforting in a way they are I mean like it, it's it's. I, I think in the sense that a lot of mysteries are kind of comforting because it's almost it's just you know it's like making a puzzle you know right. the world is going to fall into a recognizable order by the end of I mean, the story yeah. I hope right otherwise it's like well, what are we doing this for I, I have not really read that much Agatha Christie I feel like I have only read and then there were none or yeah. whatever racist name you you want to call Temple the book. Indians yes, or thing. worse than that, there's a worse one. Anyway, <laughs> so I have read, I read that one in high school because that was like required reading at one point in like high school or like late middle school, I don't remember. I think, yeah, we read it in middle school. It was probably like a middle school, yeah, so it's probably like a late middle school thing that I did. Um, aside from that, I have not, I, I saw the 70s Orient Express whenever we watched the Braunhoff one just because I wanted to compare the two. 
I did not see the 70s version of this. I don't think I did. No, wait, I did see the 70s version of this. I don't remember it super well, but okay. I did see it. Okay, so I, I can't attest to like what was different in that from the book. Also, again, have not read the book. Most I have done is I poked around on Wikipedia and tried to find online like lists of differences between the books and the movies. So, well, I'll like, tell you this, the mustache was not nearly as lustrous. Is enormous, and, yes, that's enormous. true. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I, I can't say, I guess, that I'm a fan. Like I respect her work, I guess, is what I'd say more, but I haven't read that much of it, so what can I tell you? I think I've read very little of it, but I've consumed many adaptations. Yeah, that's probably fair. Which I enjoy. One of the elements of this that... We saw this somewhat in Murder on the Orient Express, but it's definitely more emphasized here of there's just much more, like, diverse casting for this. And I think the movie kind of hits that note in a kind of an odd way. Like, sometimes it's leaning into the reality of it. Sometimes it's almost leaning in more of, like, a colorblind theater direction, like, where it's not acknowledged. We're not acknowledging that anyone's a different race. Yeah. Um, and I kind of feel like you have to choose one or the other. Like, we saw shades of that in Murder on the Orient Express with, um... What's it was Daisy Ridley and Leslie Odom Jr. Right. Where, like, they're, they're together, but they have, like, separate bunks on the train, like, separate rooms, because, like, they don't want people to know that they're an interracial couple, because right. they know that's, like, that's, that's bad news back at the time. People won't be happy about that shit. And they do find, they do sort of go there in Death on the Nile with like the racist comments that she would have made to Salome and Rosalie. Yeah, Salome has talked a little bit about her past with white people in general and just right. like the miserable experiences in her life. So like, also um, Cousin Nick at one point says that he Andrew. doesn't, is that Yeah. Cousin Andrew Cachadorian. Nick. Don't know. I don't know. Maybe you knew a Nick Cachadorian. Uh, I don't think I did. <laughs> your, your dear cousin Nick Cachadorian. Can't stand it. Cousin Andrew talks about not wanting to be a brown person found with a gun right. by the authorities because it's gonna, right. he'll be instantly accused of committing a crime. He explicitly talks about race a lot, but then I think there's just one omission that we're all thinking of, right? Where it seems like it should come into play where it's not. Yeah. Which, Wait, which so, would be... Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Which, okay, so awesome. Which would be the relationship really, between yeah. Book and Rosalie, which is they want to be married. Right. They're Book's, very sweet. Yeah, Book's mother does not like Rosalie, and it's not because she's black, it's because she's worried that she, like... Is like a like a, what do you call it? Like um, uh, she wants his money. What a gold digger. Yeah, gold digger. Thank you. But he doesn't have any money. I guess like he'd be entitled to money. I guess when his mom if his dies. Mom got the blessing. If yeah. Because well, he doesn't strike me as particularly rich. She does. Though. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm trying. Like, I feel like in the original one, it was kind of like he wasn't rich, but his family was rich, and so it was like he was able to just sort of dumb luck his way through life. He would have wealthy family members to fall back on right. if something really went awry. That was my vague recollection. I don't know how accurate that is. It does feel odd if you're going to acknowledge race in one character arc, well, whatever, not really arc necessarily, but if you're going to acknowledge it with one character, why you also wouldn't acknowledge it with this one, which is arguably more of a, not a lead, but just kind of a more important character, and it's also that relationship is yeah, important. I guess I would argue that it's probably that they didn't want Annette Bening to seem like a racist. So was, we can't have her disapprove of the skin color, but we can have her disapprove I mean, of, like, the class yeah. difference. I think it's just an awkward... I think it is it. I mean, there were no black people in the book, right? Right. No, right. One, was, no one was dark-skinned. Right. Uh, even the cousin is... No, he's a white guy he's in a the white book. Guy. Yeah. Everyone's white. Right. Um, and so there was an attempt here to diversify that. Do they explain why their cousin is not... <laughs> Maybe it's Egyptian. I, 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 I don't actually know is what he is. He's Because Cachadorian is not Egyptian, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know what it is. It's something. 
but I, I don't know what it is. But anyway, um, I, I think they say and he's a close family friend. So, like, they I call see. him Winky Wink, cousin. He's cousin, sure. but he's not really cousin. Right. Well, yeah. I think it was just they're close friends with his family, and so, like, they grew up together, and, like, oh, it's my cousin. Cousin this guy. Yeah. Right, yeah. So but. there was an attempt here to diversify the cast and, and change those things, but I'm not, like, I, I agree that it's a bit odd to not mention it in this case, but I do think that it's, like, it doesn't, I don't think it bothers me as much as it's bothering the two of you that they don't mention it in an epidemic's case, because I think that they wanted it to just be like, well, this person doesn't want this guy marrying this her son marrying this girl, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with her race because that wasn't a factor in the original book. And to talk about it would make an epending a, a huge racist and it just feels like a layer that they just didn't want in the movie, I guess. Which um, is fair. I mean, it doesn't bother me yeah, to say, but it's, I think it's, it, it strikes me as a sign of inconsistency in yeah, That's more like, right. That's more how I feel. Like, I'm not bothered like, by it. I just think it's odd. You maybe just needed a line to be like, to have her say, no, her skin color. Right, like, yeah, like, oh, you think this is a race thing? It's not a race thing. Like, I don't care about that. I care about money or whatever. Yeah, but it's a small, it's a small thing that I think, it's easily fixable, I think is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't bother me that much because I think it's just like a weird omission um, is a little bit conspicuous in its absence when it is a factor in other characters like Slim and... Right. Cousin Andrew. Right, and and I do think it's, it's just one of those issues that I think like, to be quite clear, I think it's a good idea to diversify if you're doing an older text and, like, do some colorblind casting and then sort of, like, figure out how you might want to work with that in the world. I just think that sometimes you need to be prepared with how you're going to address it in the source and, like, the, in, the, in the movie yeah. itself, you know? I think you need to decide you are going to call it out or you're not inside yeah. the world or you're not. Right. Yeah. And, and it's not like... Um... I think you need to commit to that choice one way or the other. I don't think it's out of the ordinary, too, for, like, a character like Slimane and her niece, Rosalie, to, like, be where they are in life. Yeah, I don't um, either. There were black women like that. Right. Jazz singers. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's singers. a musician. She yeah. certainly could have been, been successful. Um, so it would have been, like, you know, unique and, and whatnot. But, you know, this is a movie full of exceptional people, so. Yes. <laughs> I, I think similarly on the note of colorblind casting, we had also kind of briefly talked about, Chris and I, when you were out, how they rethought the character of Van Schuyler and Bowers um, to be a lesbian couple in the movie. Whereas in French and Jennifer Saunders. Yeah, French and Saunders. Whereas in the book... It's very, very clearly not a romantic relationship at all. One woman is very wealthy and the other woman's job is follow her around because she's a kleptomaniac and return all the Mm -hmm. stuff that the wealthy woman steals. Which sounds like a comedic concept. Well, I mean, it sounds funny. It also sounds like, frankly, like a hellish existence, you know? Like, at least with this one, it's, well, she's pretending to be her, you know, subservient character, but, like, they're in love with each other. Whereas this one, it's like, no, your lot in life is to follow around a rich lady and be like, oh, the necklace that was stolen was here under the couch all along. I found it. Which seems like kind of like hell on earth. I don't hate it as a choice. I think the movie handles it mostly pretty well. I think it's it's one of those changes that was made that I think is probably a change for the better. Yeah. It makes their relationship a little more interesting and a little less miserable, I think. It does, but I do I do kind of feel... It does feel like a little excessive sometimes where it's like they really have to hammer home... Like, because the reveal means nothing. Mm-hmm. They have this whole big confrontation where it's like, you're not actually her maid, you're her lover. And it's like, but it doesn't mean anything. Well, and right. like, why would... Because you weren't a suspect before and you're still not a suspect now. And it doesn't, it doesn't implicate you in any way in anything that's happened. No. It's yeah. just like, a, it's a secret that was incidentally... <laughs> Well, I, I guess is the idea supposed to be that like you were duplicitous in this sense, ergo you might be lying That's about I suspect something you. else. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't yeah. think it is because he's just like trying to find. He's just he's just poking at everyone's like secrets for no fucking reason, really, and <laughs> just trying to well, out this and couple. I yeah, think, I think it's 
I could see it being from that angle of like, you know, who's being duplicitous here? Who has secrets and need uncovering? And I understand maybe wanting to like uncover those in your search for this like truth about the crime. But I almost feel like if if he's storing that away in his head as like, oh, these women are duplicitous. It's like, n- n- no, they're responding to a real- an oppressive reality in their lives. Right. I don't think it is because <laughs> he is asking about her connections. But I know thing is, I know why Kenneth Branagh is doing it. Kenneth Branagh is doing it because... When it happens, he's like, ah, yes, once again, love causes us to right. do crazy things. Right, which is, is the theme. We have to add, we have to add, like, a theme that is not in the book, but yeah. the movie is really pounding in. And we need, like, 20 examples Yeah, of the movie is entirely about how love makes you do insane things, which, again, as we said, is not an aspect of the book at all. Should no. this have actually been retitled Death on the Love Boat? Perhaps. Oh, yeah. Perhaps it should. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh was really hung up on love. Right. He wanted to make all about, like, the horrible things that people will do in the name of love. Things people do for love. Yes. You got, like, the whole fucking mustache flashback just to get Catherine in the picture. Right. uh, I kind of wanted to maybe take a short digression about that flashback. It's too long. What it's setting up, I don't think, needs something that long. But I did find it really enjoyable to watch. And I liked a lot of the creative choices made there. It was very, like... Yeah, pathways. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I th- still not the right name. It was still well. It was well done, I think. But that being said, again, kind of ultimately for me superfluous yeah. because we already know from the first movie that he has a lost love. We don't know the circumstances of it, but we know that he has like this picture that he's always looking at and being like, "Oh, you, I love you so much." Nothing happened in the flashback that couldn't have been a scene of him telling someone. Right. That's mostly my thing. That's and like a lot, a lot of the first half. Of the yeah. To be fair, like a lot of the first thirty minutes is shit that should have been covered through dialogue. Yeah. Or flashbacks but like it's it's just yeah it's it's silly because like it's it's fine like there's interesting stuff like it's interesting to see pure oh, puro 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 interesting to see is i cried combined his first and last name so i was saying hercule but so pure puro 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 see like how he was <laughs> before so puro he was a detective, and he yeah. was like, oh, this is the, the brains forming. Right, where it's like yeah, with yeah. gas, the wind is blowing in this direction, so we'll have like a window. Yeah. That's interesting, but I don't know, useful. Um, and and then the whole bit about love is what you wanted to get down, but then it, it seems... Because of the stupid way the scene ends, it seems like a weird origin story for his mustache. Yeah, it does. It I mean, does. right, when you see his face, his upper lip area is yeah. horribly scarred. Especially because later on... He talks about, oh, Catherine blew up in a train, but we don't even see that. Right. So you feel like, like that's what? the more important thing, you frankly, that you should that be seeing. Actually, right. since that would have been emotionally devastating, and not to be cinemasense about it, Dick. Ding. Um, but his facial scar significantly larger. Yeah, than no, I think you should be cinemasense about some things. And in this case, you're right, because, yeah, his one, his scar is much bigger than what it, his mustache would cover. So, I mean... It's I, like a Heath Ledger Joker scenario. Yeah, yeah, no, it truly it is. Really like, is. It's going up to, like, his cheek. Well, on, only on one side. Yeah, only on one side. And... The mustache is just not that... I mean, it's big, but it's not, it's not that, that big. big. I guess we were spared. It could have been a much more ridiculous mustache. <laughs> but also... Like, this is how I'm going to make the mustache look smaller. Well, Huge scar. And also, to be quite clear, you can't grow a mustache over scar tissue because scar tissue doesn't grow hair. So he must have, like, grown out, like, a comb-over mustache from, like, the bridge of his... below his nose and just, like, combed it over the it's, scars? He's like, I hope in A Haunting in Venice, yeah. he, like, leans over to Tina's fake character and his like my secret is this is all those <laughs> or he has it on upside down at one point and like everyone's looking at him he's like oh which makes the decision to shave it all the more tragic because like that's gonna take forever to recreate I know, I know. 
That's going to be years of your life right there. At this point, I guess you are moving fake mustache to cover your face. You're ready to grow your vegetables. His very flavorsome. Flavorsome marrows. Yes. Vegetables. Marrows. They don't have quite a nice flavor. I also just, I mean, we're kind of already into talking about structure, but that's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the beginning is way too long. I do think individually the two prologues we get, because there's one for Poirot right, and so yeah, one for the actual establish real quick. The first prologue is the black and white World War One scene mm-hmm. where we discover the origin of his mustache and we see him talking with Catherine. Which was really Brana, he just wanted to do like a war film exercise. Right, some like moody black and white shit. And like you said, He's I done do... It. Hasn't he done that shit? He's done, well, Belfast was black and white, yeah. so there was definitely, but Belfast isn't, like, but really a war I, movie, per se. My, th- my, my running theory with him is that he desperately wants to do, or he really enjoys doing period pastiche, and I think it was specifically, especially the way the shots were composed, it was meant to look like a 1940s or 50s war film. Yeah, and like like we said, it's, it's a good-looking sequence. Mm-hmm. I think the black and white cinematography kind of helps him cheat if there's, like, some CGI dodginess in right. the backdrops and such. It's a little bit easier to kind of fudge that and look past it. The second prologue, then, that we have is Poirot at a nightclub in London yes. where Salome Otterborn is singing, and while she is singing, we also see... Jackie and Simon like doing a weird sexy dance. Oh my god, everyone on the floor. Everyone on the floor is like fucking grinding. It, and it's like, it's seriously like everything they were telling us not to do at like a middle school dance. Right, leave like, room for the Holy Ghost. No, no dirty dancing, yes. no freaking, no juking. Right. Um, <laughs> but there's like, I mean, at one point it seems like all of the women are down on all fours. Right. He's like just grinding her ass grabbing her waist and thrusting and, his crotch in her butt. And I don't think we were like living in a pure time necessarily. I just, it looked very modern. It did. The dancing they were doing. And then especially then, so then on top of that, you have Lynette who comes in and then what she- an entrance, and, right? Right. She has like a slow motion entrance in her dress. And then she and Army Hammer do their own sexy dance while Jackie is just sort of standing off to the side yes. watching. The way they shoot her is great. I actually think the cinematography, uh, they do a lot of close-ups and medium close-ups in this movie, and they tend to look pretty great. But I just love that um, Emma Mackey, who plays Jackie, just uses her big, big face to do such, like... I just love the shot of her in the nightclub watching them dance because you just see the like start of a supervillain starts yes. <laughs> like yeah. the the eyes go crazy the the mouth kind of quivers right it's there's so like definitely good. like gears turning behind her head as she's <laughs> yeah. watching this going on so yeah so you've got that that scene as well and then. We finally get to Egypt, but even when we're at Egypt, we still have to deal with Poirot meeting Book and Book's mother before we get to the hotel, before Book really quickly is like, all right, I got 30 seconds to tell you who every character is. So listen real close. This is her cousin. This is Andrew. This is the doctor. He used to be engaged to her. This is her friend from school. She is an aunt who's a singer. And just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow fucking down, buddy. It's literally at a party. I actually thought that was a bizarre choice. I don't hate the idea that you use the idea of like, oh, he's at a party. He doesn't know people. His friend who does know people is just going to let him in and all the stuff. But they have to move through it so quickly that I was wondering why wouldn't you get that some of that shit out of the way in the nightclub scene yeah, I mean, there's there's so many other ways you could have done it than have Book just run through a Wikipedia list of characters right. real quick while you were watching it there. And so then, again, to be quite clear, after this, we still have more scenes in Egypt, more scenes like on a boat. At least. Then we get to Abu Simbel. Lynette almost dies, but does not die. Right. By the time Lynette is actually shot, it is halfway through the movie. Uh-huh. So we have a movie where the murder mystery part does not kick in until about like an hour after it started. In which, to be fair, my understanding is the book also has like sort of a front-loaded thing where Poirot isn't there watching it, but it does include the introduction of Lynette and Jackie and Simon and all of that, you know, table work, table 
what, whatever I'm trying to think about, like layout. Table setting. Yeah, table setting. Thank you. I understand to a certain extent that maybe like why you, why the story spends so long setting itself up and going through multiple prologues and whatnot. I mean, in both the book and the movie, I think to a certain extent you want to try to create a feeling of not being sh- like, cause you can sometimes tell in a meta level who's who based on like, well, we've spent a long time in the story with this one character or right. whatever. Yeah. So I get that you want to spread out. You want to make sure that it's like harder to understand, but the, the plot in and of itself is so simple. And the answer is so simple that it feels, I don't know, just like we wait way too long to get to the kill. Well, right. Is it okay to mention at this point, the suspects are all more closely tied? Yes. To Lynette than they are in the book. Right. In the books, well. it's just by and large, like with the exception of Andrew and Jackie and Simon, it's like, these are a bunch of randos who they're on the boat with. Right. And in the movie, everyone has a motive and they're connected to her in some way. And they're there explicitly for her wedding. Which again, I think which is I a, think is a good idea. I think it's a fine idea. I do think there's an unfortunate byproduct that it makes the world feel very small. It does, but I think if you're but if you have like if you want to assign plausible motives to everyone for killing the, sure. this person, then you need to have connections to this person. You know, it's more nuts to be like, oh I suspect that this romance novelist who just happened to be on the boat might have killed her. And it's like, but why would she have killed her? Like, what yeah. reason I, does she have? There's also, like, a wrinkle in the book that I remember reading in the Wikipedia summer mm-hmm. that, like, another guy, like, a friend of Poros comes aboard the ship and is like, I'm looking for another murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Unrelated murderer. Right, right. And so, like, That's while even this, more confusing. All this shit is happening. This is other colonel guy who's like, and also there's a murderer on the boat. Uh, separate from anything else. I know like, he's look, a murderer. Yeah, look, don't worry about it. I got my own shit to do. I don't here. know who he is, but we'll find him. And then it turns out to be like one of the fucking 18 characters that's in the book. Right. Yeah, to, also to be clear that there are about five or so characters in the book who are folded into other characters for this adaptation. That's while, a smart move. Right. While Book is not in the book, he's kind of replacing two characters, a colonel who is a friend of Poirot and this younger guy who's on the boat with his mother. And he's kind of combining both of those roles. Mrs. Van Schuyler is a combination of both like this wealthy older woman and a younger revolutionary uh, socialist. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of lumped together. And I think by and large, it mostly works. It's not like you're, you're like looking at someone and being like, but like, but those two character choices seem at odds with each other. I mean, they do, but I think Jennifer Saunders is just like great at what she does. So I think her performance smooths out any like uh, uncomfortable or like dissonant friction with that. I think it's so funny to me that we just have Poirot in the nightclub to see the inciting incident for a murder that he will then have to investigate on a boat in fucking Egypt right, halfway he- across the world with all of the same people and oh his best friend is dating the adopted daughter of the jazz singer well, in the nightclub that one I mean time. well the thing that I think is that gets a little goofy is that Poirot is at the nightclub on behalf of Euphemia Book's mother to investigate um, right. Salome Otterborn and her niece to see like what their deal is and then like he just happens to see this relationship drama go down with all these sexy dances that's where it's a little bit we're just right. kind of trying to condense incidents here because also in the book the subplot of Euphemia hiring Poirot to investigate uh, Rosalie. Rosalie is not there because also because obviously like these characters are different in the book right. but there's not a subplot where he is there for an ulterior reason to try and you know see what the deal is with someone and then gets drawn into this larger murder mystery that's just kind of something that was added to this mm-hmm. could have probably done without it honestly I think so I think so I think it might have simplified things a little bit I think you don't want to make the world feel that small because if everything's yeah. already taking place on a set it can already feel very small and claustrophobic I agree 
agree. And I, I think, again, just going back to the story, my bigger issue here is that I think my thought is that for most murder mysteries of this ilk, by the end of Act 1, there should have been a murder. <laughs> and so it feels yeah. like for this one, this has the longest fucking Act 1 of any movie. We wind up, and then we had we got, like, two murders? Three? Well, I mean, like, I, I would say, like, the pri- the end of Act 1 should be Lynette is dead. Right. And then we go from mm-hmm. there. And so if we assume that still, story-wise, the end of Act 1 is Lynette dies or shot, murdered, it's just we've had an Act 1 that's lasted an hour, so now we have Act 2 and Act 3 that we have to condense until the same amount of time. Right. A half hour apiece, basically. Right. Which is, is, is just not so how quickly, once she dies, we have to, like... Get on it. Like, start fucking figuring this shit out right away. And it just feels like there are smarter ways to work past that. You need not have an act one to your movie that is an hour long. Right. As we were saying, there are other ways to work around this. And it's strange to me that no one working on this movie on a creative aspect was like, hey... Have you thought about this instead? Right. Like it's just it's it's just a little weird that no one really seemed to have considered or if they did consider it, why did they not follow their instinct? I don't know. Well, and I also wondered at times, like, was there like a theatrical or pulpy sensibility that not pulpy necessarily, but was there like a chamber mystery theater theatrical thing that Ronald was going for? I just couldn't tell what was not executed well and what was meant to be like more theatrical. Yeah, more that's... I mean, that's thing. certainly, uh, I think, something you run into with Kenneth Branagh a lot, where yeah. a lot of his sensibilities are very theatrical. As someone who, like, sort of came from theater and never quite shook that, nope. those instincts, he, he does lean into a lot of over-the-top him and cheese. exaggeration. Like, I mean, yeah. even in the, the mustache is an exaggeration. The accent is very exaggerated. Right, and, like, all the, all the times you see Jackie's face, her, she's using, like, she has very big eyes, and they're using them just swinging all it's worth. They're just, like, she's making crazy eyes. <laughs> like constantly every time you see her lurking off in the shadows tinting her fingers be like "Mm, it's just sort of okay you're not playing to the cheap seats here Brana like you can (laughs) you know you you can remember this is a movie and we can do a lot with a subtle glance versus a big I mean especially with someone who has such big features who don't need to go full throttle right like she has a very I don't know how to say a big face a very expressive face with like very big eyes any gesture that could be subtle is amplified 20% just because she has such an expressive looking face do we have anything else we wanted to say about like the structure or the direction I mean, in terms of direction, like we said, there is a little bit of Ronak leaning into his shtick where you get a lot of, like, Lee had said, like, there's a shot where um, Book and Poirot are talking and they're filmed through wicker chairs. Wicker chair. Oh, yeah. When <laughs> Book is talking about, like, not being free to yeah. marry who he wants. So we're going to put him inside a cage of wicker. Right, yeah. yeah. It's like he's in a prison cell. And whenever the Karnak is leaving port, the camera pans by it and everyone <coughs> is standing in their own little square of the boat flanked by columns. Yeah. And it's like uh, uh, um, opened curtains. Right. And it's also symmetrical. Yes. Yeah. Or, um, I don't mind so much, but what I mind is the needle drop on that scene. Oh, yeah. It's such a long montage. That, yeah. It's like that sausage <laughs> Right, yeah. It, it's it's, it's, it's New Orleans. Yeah, or... it's sort of like like an up-tempo, jazzy, yeah. bluesy number. And it, it goes on for like two and a half minutes, it's too. It's so, yeah. It, this song feels intrusive after about it does. a minute. It doesn't feel like it matches what you're seeing. No, yeah. it doesn't really have anything to do with the scene. And there's a point where it's like, oh my god, this song is still playing. Like we've like <laughs> yeah. we've left port, we've got on the boat, we have left port, yeah, and this song playing, is still playing. They're playing shuffleboard now. Stop. Right, it's like yeah, we moved on. 
Give us a different dirty jazz. Um, we also saw the return of the beveled glass yes, shot. Yes, he loves shooting um, through beveled glass. So there's like a bar, I guess, a bar and dining room kind the of. Saloon. I, guess, I the, think Wikipedia calls it the saloon on the top deck. Yeah, and it's just surrounded by these uh, mostly unadorned glass panes, uh-huh. but it, they have beveled edges, and right, so the camera just moves in a circle around them, and you, you get to see people's faces doubled, and Right, so everyone looks, like, a little and distorted, and then you also have the scene where he's interrogating Cousin Andrew, where he just starts walking around Cousin Andrew, <laughs> yeah. and like, the camera starts moving with him, and then Luke, for some reason, also starts walking in circles, right. it's just sort of like, oh, okay, guys. We need to like, create some interest here. Yeah, we've got, we've got, like, a little too much going on <laughs> with this, and then I remember also there's the scene where I Annette Benning's character finds the necklace in her jewelry box and whenever he's going back and forth between Poirot and Annette Benning, the camera is like outside the window and it keeps sliding left Mm -hmm. and right as like each character is talking like Poirot's in the left window, she's in the right and as like as she talks we move right and as he talks and we move back up it's like okay I understand it like you're excited to move the camera Kenneth Branagh. The funny thing about it to me not funny I guess but just the weird thing about it to me is I I see what's being gone for but the images themselves are just not that impactful so like if the tableau or the way that the shot was composed or lit, maybe the lighting was more interesting, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of cool. I like what he's doing with that. But I like, I see it and I'm like, okay. Like, I mean, it's just not, it's like just a very framed shot. Yeah. Okay. And we said there are a handful of effective uses of yes. like, there's like the scene where they find, um, the maid's body stuck in the in the that, paddle yeah. wheel. Was a really where it's just cool like it happens shot. like you don't even notice it happening. You just see like there's a window over one of their shoulders where you sh- can see like the paddle wheel turning, and all of a sudden you see like a body crawl up because it's stuck in the paddle wheel and it breaks the glass. The fact that it's done so sort of inconspicuously mm-hmm. and out of nowhere makes it kind of shocking. It's effective, right? And I think a lot of the scenes on the CGI Nile at night are kind of effective. Like Chris, you had said the scenes with the um, the flares. The flares look good that because it's very just, pretty. Yeah, it just means that it's like all dark and all you see are red lights everywhere. Contrary-wise, I think the stuff during the day is a little bit dodgier. The composition is not quite there between also, the green screen. It's also where the set's most scream set. Yeah. Like, uh, especially when they're at that, when they get off and they're, like, traipsing around. Abu Simbel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when they're traipsing around Abu Simbel and... <laughs> you can tell that they can't pull out of that shot right. where they have framed up an army hammer and Gal Gadot because if they do, you're going to see that it's a green screen or right. a tarp or whatever. But it just looks so fake. It looks so fake. My understanding is they created some of Abu symbol on a soundstage. So mm-hmm. some of that is real. But I think that's the problem. Is you have like maybe 20 feet of it that's real. Right. And if you pan beyond that, that's when it starts to look like, oh, that's not quite right. You have the very tactile feel of an actual set. And then when you start to drift beyond that, it's, this feels wrong. This feels not quite at place here. It's just, yeah, I, I, I definitely think the night scenes are more effective. I think the, the cinematography is most effective when they're doing close-ups and letting people, like, give you big emotion. Yeah. That, at least, I was, like, on board for. I'm like, yeah, it's dramatic and over-the-top, but I thought that was more fun to look at than it was to see a, like, a sort of muddy Egyptian sky. Right, just a bunch of, like, orange and yellow. (laughs) Right. All right, are we are we good to go into like casting characters? Yeah, I think yes, so. So, so P- Poirot, I mean Poirot. Poirot, Kenneth Branagh back again as Poirot. I mean the accent is here. It's silly. It's big. The mustache is, is big. I don't know that I. I don't. I mean, I don't, I've never seen a sous show. I never have either. Uh, it's, what was the seventies movie? Is the seventies was was it Ustinov or was it Finney? I know Albert oh, Finney. Okay. I think Finney Albert Finney did Orient movie. Express, and then Ustinov did the Suchet other ones. Sushi must have done. Suchet I'm sure he for did. The BBC, but yeah. it was like in the eighties. Um, well, in any case, I've never seen another 
person play it, but I don't know that I am interested in seeing Hercule Poirot played by a real French person. <laughs> I just want to see people with attempting hammy, to do the accent. With a hammy French well, fake accent. I mean, I think that's the idea there, right? You want a British person who's just going to, yes. like, go full tilt nuts. Hercule Poirot. It is fun to watch him just go full bore at that accent. Just yeah. really chew on yeah. it. And I, I think... Here he walked around Paris and nobody questioned him. <laughs> Anything. No one said anything. Oh, <laughs> I do. That's a fantastic. Quote. Maybe while like all these Frenchmen are like, this is not how we sound. Max, it is very natural. I also just like he's fun to watch in these movies. He only wants to play Poirot, and he he's taking it on in his latter years. He's got like such a boner for like melancholy, which yes. I'm yes. on board with, by yes. the way. I don't know that it doesn't always feel earned for this character. I don't character. know that Poirot is meant to be so sad. That's now. mostly my oh, thing. Is that I, I feel like so I feel like I, I don't know this for sure, but it feels like Poirot must be a little bit of inspiration for um, Knives Out, for Daniel Craig's performance in Knives Out. Yeah. Where it's kind of like this character who seems like a little bit goofy at first. They have a ridiculous accent, but it's like their way of disarming you. You meet this person, you're like, oh, this fucking rube with like right. their goofy voice. Like, what could they possibly know? And you end up giving things away because you think this person is like just a fucking idiot. You don't take yeah. them seriously. Right. And I think like that's kind of, from my understanding, that is a trait of Poirot in the books where he comes across as sort of like fussy, yeah, fussy and goofy. And so people don't immediately suspect him and his like questions are so sort of like off kilter at first that you don't quite understand what he's getting at even and I feel like that's not for better or for worse that is not a trait that you get in these movies you get that this is like a very competent very sort of like dour man who has like who has had the love of his life taken away from him he keeps the fussiness with he does he definitely keeps the fussiness but but also like he's playing like a latter day Poirot and so everyone that he meets is like it's the famous detective right so it's hard to be you can't be disarming. Disarming if everyone knows who you are. Yeah, disarming if everyone knows. Yeah. Um, but that's that being said, I would love to see like a crossover where it's like um, Benoit Blanc. <laughs> Blanc. Oh my god. <laughs> and like uh, Columbo. <laughs> uh, all, all of them laying on their shit. <laughs> I think the title is. Sh- what, what is the title? Humble of that? detective. Just, like, just one more accent. Just, just one more. Yeah, one more stick. Yes. Who, I mean, who could even do the Peter Falk impression we need for that? I'm sure. I'm sure there's got to be like... Lee Delahanty? Yeah, there's got to be some Peter Falk. <laughs> Are you going to put a rumpled raincoat on you and... Have your eye replaced. <laughs> Give me a, a trench coat, three sizes too long. Yeah. And I'm there. Always talk like, about your wife. You, yeah. need, you need someone around you just like bunching it up and letting it go yeah. so it's more and more wrinkled. Uh, my wife loves this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Mrs. Colombo loves this. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Mrs. Colombo about this death on the Nile. Oh, what a mess. <laughs> oh. uh, I found this bloody scarf. Strange, didn't you? See this bloody scarf here. I uh, I don't know who to go to next. I mean, all right. Let's just. I'll just like real Down quickly. Yeah, yeah I'll just real Gadot. quickly go through. So Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. Gadot. Um, Gadot or Godot? I don't. Know. I think it's Gadot. Cause not. It's not like waiting for Godot. I think it's, it's like French. Gadot. Yeah. It Israeli. Sound Israeli. Yeah. I Half don't know. My critique of her name is that it sounds better if it's Gadot. I can't <laughs> agree with you. <laughs> We should all be waiting you should, for that uh, to go. Write that letter to her and, team. Like, yes. you know what? When you become an actor, you have a choice. Yes, gal. <laughs> hey, galley. Listen here, gal. Yeah. Um, hey, gal. So this um, is going back to what we had said originally. When I had asked the question, like, is Gal Gadot actually a bad actor? I, think so. I feel like she is. I think so. I think she's I, not good at all in this. I think. Uh, 
I think it's like a January Jones situation right. where she was introduced to the world in exactly the role that she can play. Yeah. And then any step outside of that, you're seeing how it just doesn't work. Right. <laughs> yes. How she was. And also, like, I do the thing I always loved about Wonder Woman is how they like reverse engineered the one like the accent of the island based off of Gal Gadot's yes. own accent because, because they like, weren't going to get her right because they were like she one. can't do yeah. another accent so we just have to be like this is what they all sound like they all sound like this now which I always kind of loved as a way to sort of cheat that it wasn't not fitting I mean if I hear that I'm like no you're, it's fine like you're it's, ancient Greek I was gonna say like it's like yeah like it's <laughs> vaguely Middle Eastern and exotic so sure. like sure it could sure. be something it's Mediterranean yeah um, um I think she's bad. I think she's bad as I well. I think she's very bad in this. Um, she I did, think she did give us a very, the very fun line reading. She does a lot of my words. nickname and also the name of the dream. And my nickname yeah. too. Like she did a lot of nutty <laughs> line reading. Like the scene where the scene where she and Army Hammer are on the pyramid of the temple, and she's like starts like grinding on like him? rubbing her butt yeah. against him. She's like, don't do that. Do you know what she? This is wrong. She's like, what? Do you remember when I wrote that like sort of pastiche um, film noir radio thing? Yeah. yeah. She's like the femme fatale character. That like the level of of nuance you're getting, yes. yeah, just that character, just has. like bludgeoning you over the head. Yeah. Sex. Yes. Um, I think also probably the first time we talk about someone being canceled in this movie. Yeah. Not, her, not really canceled per se, but a lot of uh, controversial beliefs regarding controversial Israel. Beliefs. A lot of bad videos made of her singing "Imagine" with other celebrities right. during the pandemic. But also dragged some other celebrities down. My with favorite her. Um, reaction to that was um, they put it in Big Fat Quiz of the Year for COVID, <sighs> and James Acaster was on the panel, and when they showed that video, he was like, "That was early. That that was like right at the beginning." Of the <laughs> like that's early to go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Though. It is. I feel like it's like we had only been inside for like a month at yeah. that point. We've already lost it. Your brain has already well, melted. Galvanized. And she's already been like, you know what we need right now? Yeah. Me, me singing Imagine. Yeah. With, with all my celebrity With all my house. celebrity friends. Um, so I'm just going alphabetically just to do this quickly. Sure. So Tom Bateman is Book. Great. I like I mean, him. He's, he's a little a, cutie. He's a sweetie. He's yeah. a cutie pie. I, I, I really keep looking him up because I keep confusing him with Tom Ellis. I'm like, you're so familiar. Uh, there were so <laughs> many angles in lighting where he looked so much like him. Yeah. He does, yeah. I don't think that I've seen him. I mean, apparently he was in Da Vinci's Demons, which oh. I have seen. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the TNT series? She, that was like the... Where he was like, yeah. what if Da Vinci fucked? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He he's definitely did, by the way. Married to Daisy Ridley, apparently. Wow! Apparently, they, you know what? Good for him. Yeah, apparently, what a hot couple. In January, they were together. They met on Murder on the Orient Express, and apparently, oh. in January, they confirmed that, like, yeah, they were actually married. This past January, yeah, good for them. Yeah, I didn't know she was married. I didn't That's know he was married to her. To be like, yeah, we met, and then eight months later, be like, we're married. Yeah, guys. fuck you guys. Guess what? Fuck fuckos. you, journalists. <laughs> <laughs> we got married, baby. Um, I wish he had not died because Me I too. like him a lot. And that means he can't seven. come back up in Venice. Right, that's what I was kind but of again, hoping. Like Lee said, there's not a sidekick to a poor row. It's a good sidekick. But it it's helps. Good to have something right. bounce and off of Because I feel like the way it is in the books, and again, having not really read them, but it's always some guy shows up and Poro's like, oh, yes, yeah, you, yeah. my old friend my who buddy. I know from the army or whatever. This person disappears then or pops back in like once, maybe later. It's but sort like, of Murder She Wrote style where it's just like everywhere you go, you have like a cousin. Right, I know a friend. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's going to a seance in a haunting in Venice, and maybe we'll. <laughs> You'll see the ghost of the guy. That's so. going to be his mountain collie that time. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Where's my. I'm trying to. <laughs> I, I you, I'll bet a solid $10 that. He gets dragged to the seance and he is maybe hoping to get some, like. Closure from, from Boo. Honest yeah. to God? Yeah, okay. I'm there for it. <laughs> 
what if what if what if it's uh, because he doesn't have the mustache back? It's like the ghost of the stash. <laughs> it's not a floating little just mustache. Floats in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> it took you ten years to go, Monsieur, Monsieur. <laughs> Uh, next, we've got Annette Benning as Euphemia, Vuk's mother. Uh, I mean, she says every single line like, yes. it's, like it's the what? climax line. But like, what Lisa, happened to right? <laughs> This woman is like so aggressively anti-love. She's and I guess... also like always just like quivering. Right. Yeah. Just, <laughs> and through subtext, I guess we can infer that it's her own marriage that she's talking about. Yeah. In a movie like this, you, ex- right, you expect there to be a scene where she tells Poirot, like, let me fucking tell you why that like I hate all yeah. this shit. Like, my own husband. Blah, 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 blah. And like, then you get it out of the air. But like, been like abusive or something. Thing. Yeah, like, like terrible, to, right? To like to I justify like on her a bunch, but like to justify her outlandish reaction where right. she's like, love simply does not like she's like a fucking Disney villain or something. Yeah. I, I, the only other read I was, I, I think maybe they were grasping for was if she's rich, does she just think love is impossible that everyone wants your money? I don't know. She's not. I mean, that would be a perfectly fine take, but it, that's not really the which, conclusion that we're getting. Would also be thematically resonant with the murder, right? The other thing worth mentioning with her is that like that line that's most would be very important and it's the volume of that line is oh the paints out of nowhere they get to August Symbol and out of nowhere she's like I can't find my Carmine Red yes (laughs) where is my Carmine Red let me say that one more time yes Yes. Carmine Red did you get that everyone the Carmine Red is missing I had red paint (laughs) (laughs) it's missing it's blood red and very goopy there was some crazy line like Jennifer Saunders says something like she, oh, it's like she's money, like, she's like, like quoting Marx or something, and yeah. she's like, money is the whatever yeah. divorce from the working people. And <laughs> Jeanette Benning gives a gigantic scoff. And it's I like, money is the only friend a girl can rely on, yes. or something like that. And it's just yeah. so, I mean, she's great and everything, but it was, it's she's just every single yeah, line. It's such like just, an anti mate level reading. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. She's at 11 the whole if time. If it wasn't already going to be a Tilda Swinton rumored, I would love to see <laughs> Annette Benning She's too old to play anti mate at this point. Excuse me, Russell. Brand as Linus Windlesham. He's I mean, good. Bizarrely, yeah, yeah, bizarrely, I, I, yeah, bizarrely cast, but like not bad. In a it. weird, like understated performance. Right. Performance. Uh, very not the look I was expecting. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like if you did not know it was Russell Brand, you would probably be staring at him, being like, "Who? Like well, this guy's familiar. Yeah. Who the fuck is he?" I mean, and it really made me look at his face in a different way because I was like, "Wow, when you turn the hair and pull some." Yeah, like he's kind of a good-looking guy. Fucking gross Grime. ass, dry. Yeah. Fucking right, you're hair. like, yeah, you're like greasy hair, hair, hair. hair. Yeah, like you're kind it's of a good looking guy. Yeah, no, not a bad face under that. Yeah. Even like distinguished. And it's, yeah. I would never have, I would have, if you told me the Russell Brand was playing a lord in disguise, yeah. I would have been and, like, what is that joke? And affecting a much better act, like a posher accent than he uses in real life. Right. Just like a whole posture. Like, it was an actual performance, yeah. which I am led to believe most of the time he's just doing variations on, on Russell his, Brand. Persona, yeah. yeah. Right. But yeah, I mean, his, he had a good like he had a good little dramatic speech. Right. He was like, "What do you want from me? Admit that I'm foolish." And it was it's quite it was quite good a quite yeah. good little scene. I wanted him to almost have his character to like advise Jennifer Saunders on this whole like, "Hey, you just need to not let everyone know that you're rich." <laughs> it's, it's just not. Well, Jennifer, good. I'm I'm almost you keep saying, but I'm almost positive Jennifer Saunders is indeed not rich. She did she say that she gave away life. her money. I don't think Jennifer Saunders is supposed to be a contradiction. I think she definitely was rich and then gave away all or most of her How money. How did she afford to get on the boat? I mean, I, what's his face paid for, right? Like, I mean, Lynette oh, and Simon yeah, paid for it. Right, so, like, right. I assume they probably live okay. They're not, they, like, wildly they wealthy. They live comfortably, but they're not, they're not crazy wealthy. Yeah. Okay. Are we just on to them, then? 
I'm sorry? Are we just onto them then? <laughs> what do you mean? We just They're talked right. about French. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, Ali Faisal Fazal, sorry, as Andrew Kachadorian, like, fine. He's, He's good. No He's really in it until the second half, really. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot to Uber do. sus, that's his job. Yes, yeah. Yeah. his job is to be, like, the reddest of red herrings. <laughs> Just yeah. do a lot of, like, suspicious side eye and yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sort of wringing of hands behind right. around corners. Right, a lot of, like, you know, I've, I've got important documents for you to sign. Will you sign my important documents? Yeah. Uh, no need to read them. Let's talk about them later. Uh, but sign them, please. Don French is Mrs. Bowers, whom, you know, good. Great. Does work. Does I would fun say, work. um... I mean, she gets goofy moments, but she gets grounded ones, too. She does. I wish she got to be a little bit more funny, because I feel like this is not a very funny Role. movie, and it feels like you kind of need, like, one or two characters who are kind of the more comedic suspects. I mean, in in all likelihood, hiring John French and Jennifer Saunders, they should probably be playing your comedic relief. Right. That's what they're great at. Yeah. Right. Going back to canceled people, we've got Army Hammer as Simon Doyle. <laughs> oh, dear. Who I He's think fine. does a fine job, He's like fine. you know, personal life aside. Um, yeah, yeah. I think he does a pretty fine job of this. Am I more predisposed to assume that he is the murderer because of what I know of about course. his personal life? Yeah, I might be. What can you do? I don't need to know that he's, you know, there's nothing, no bearing at all. I need to know is this is like a poor guy who married a rich lady. And right. Of him. I do think we, should, we like, should say, like, very briefly that I feel like while Murder on the Orient Express, I kind of could not figure out in a million years what yeah. the solution was. In this one, it's kind of easy to solve yeah. very, very quickly. Because, I mean, you have Annette Benning being like, where's the red paint? The red paint's missing. And then you also, yeah. like you said, Lee, you know that he is a poor guy who is marrying a rich woman. You've also got his ex-girlfriend showing up, flashing crazy eyes everyone let's go do you think these two might have something to do with this anyways rose leslie as louise bourget the maid i liked her yeah she's fine good. yeah i liked her um Didn't, she's not there a lot no she doesn't like have a whole lot to do except show up and sort of like look put upon i do i do think she comes in she's she's in the rankings for big accents because <laughs> even if she's a quieter character her accent is big. yeah yeah <laughs> emma mackie as jacqueline de belfort I think she actually might has my she does my favorite performance. Yeah, also also <laughs> delivering a very big performance. I mean, again, surely the performance she was asked to deliver, but a very big crazy eyed performance. Um, I I like her a lot. If you want to see her just do more grounded real acting, catch her on Sex Education. She's really good on it. And yeah, like if. Margot Robbie's ever, like, sick with, like, a disease long-term or something. <laughs> There's a great We've double. We've got a replacement Margot great Robbie double. out there. Yeah. Sophie Okanedo, Okanedo as Salome Otterborn. Uh, great. Yeah, I think, I, I like her performance quite a lot. I it's thought, fun. I don't know if she's doing a voice or if that's her natural tone, but... Well, it, she's it, English, right? Am I yes. wrong? Yeah, so she has to be doing a voice because she's yeah, that's, not that's English. True, yeah, true. so she's doing something. I thought she did a great job. Uh, I believed she was a, like, kind of brassy, hard scrabble jazz singer. Yeah. I think it's also kind of an interesting choice where, again, as I said earlier in the books, this character is a takeoff on Eleanor Glynn, the, like the tawdry romance novelist who I guess Agatha Christie hated. And in the book, she's sort of this drunken over the hill character, which is fun, I'm sure. A fun part to play, but I think it makes her a little bit more interesting to not be this person who no one likes and she's bad well, at her job. And they, Boo. They, they play up more about like her being Rosalie's adopted mother. Mm -hmm. And I think that relationship is interesting. I like... 
that they kind of set her up as a romantic interest for Poirot. I think they had good chemistry together. I do too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jennifer Saunders as Marie Van Schuyler. Funny, fun. Yeah, fun. Let I think know. as funny as this movie can get. Really. Right, that's again kind of my issue. As funny as the movie can get. And lastly, to close out our column of cancellation, Letitia Wright as Rosalie Otterborn. I mean, she's good. Yeah, she's good. I, 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 I think her performance is good. I think her yeah. performance, I've liked, I mean, like, I liked her in other shit, you know, prior to some of her personal beliefs being uh, discovered. Do we get many scenes of just her and Book together? You get, like a you get a little bit. I think background. like they're at the they're at the uh, temple, I believe. I together, I use more of them. Yeah, that's together. fair. They're at the temple. They're like the they're together when the confrontation happens. Yeah, which I again I like this. I I, I like that scene. I think that's well done. The confrontation, yeah, yeah between the, the five of them. Yeah. yeah, I liked how the two of them were, were like. <laughs> Sort of ineffectually trying to be like. Obviously, they weren't going to be able to stop it because it was a play acting thing. Right. right. Like, stop being cruel and just fucking quit it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I liked that. It was a good scene. Yeah. I like when she told him at one point, like, well, you kind of deserve to get shot in the knee, you asshole. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do we feel good to go into fixes? I guess we should, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You want to start us off, Brendan? Yeah, I'll start us off. I wrote some notes here. Okay. So, like I said before, we have to cut the mustache prologue. (laughs) We must cut it entirely. I think, Lee, the thing you had mentioned makes a lot of sense. The idea that you should show the scene of, um, what's her name? The train. Yeah. Catherine. Yeah, Catherine, thank you. On the train dying. Because I think if you're going to throw in a prologue, that's a much better use of your time than explaining, like, why he grew a mustache because she suggested that he could to cover some scar tissue. So, um... I do think if you wanted to throw that in as like sort of a three minute prologue, maybe mm-hmm. that would be fun. I want to open in Egypt at the hotel shortly before they're getting on the boat. And I think you can use footage from the nightclub opening later on as flashbacks when Poirot is talking to people or even as like just dialogue, whatever you don't need to show, you can just have them say it and it's perfectly fine. Uh, it might be more interesting. I think also, like I had said earlier, to sort of have the hearsay aspect of it all, where because you see this as a prologue in the movie, you think, oh, this this is what actually happened. You right. see Poirot they're watching, so it's like, ah, oh, this is what happened. But I think it might be more interesting to have it be people reporting almost Rashomon style on what they thought happened in the nightclub. Salome could have a different read of what happened versus Lynette versus Jackie. That could be something that you might want to play around with a little bit. I want to make Jackie less insidiously crazy and more sort of like manic, less someone who looks like they're constantly calculating and more yeah. like someone who's just having a manic breakdown. I mean, she's carrying a gun the whole time and everybody's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, should, should we not let her carry a gun? You should get that away from her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I she's feel like unstable. If like her scene in Egypt where she walks in and she's like wearing a red dress and like slithers oh. in and is like, hello everyone, and everyone's like, <gasps> like is I feel the, like uh, as Leonardo the Phoenix dress. Yes. And rising she, up out of the stuff. <laughs> yes. If instead of something like that, you just have this broken woman who's just sort of trembling watching all this happen, you can still have Lynette be like, oh, this fucking bitch, she'll never go away. But I think if you portray her more as this woman who's just been like emotionally destroyed by what's happened and is kind of following them out of some like devotion madness more than I think that I'm up to something no good. I think it would throw suspicion off of her a little bit yeah. because you might be more inclined to think he's just simply like shattered by right. this. I, I, I Don't kill my best friend Book. My, my good yeah. little buddy Book. Don't kill her cinnamon roll. Yes. My little Must cinnamon. protect. <laughs> yes. I feel like 
if you still want to have like another character die at that point, you can have almost anyone else die. Like maybe Bowers is the one who stole the necklace because she's like, oh, I miss having money or something like that. And maybe like you can pin it on her. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you can kill her. Then you're killing off one of the lesbians. But I don't know. Like if someone else wants to die, you can probably find an excuse for someone mm-hmm. else to die instead. And honestly, at the end of the day, I just want this movie to kind of be like more a little bit fun, which I feel is Kenneth Branagh's kind of weird MO with Poro again. I'm resisting it. I've not read the books, but it seems like he wants to take Poro, as Lee said, some, to more of like a dark introspective place, which yeah. feels like it's not what the character is. And I'm not saying it's not a valid interpretation, but I feel like you need to temper it a little bit with some levity. It doesn't need to go full comedy like Knives Out, but I think it could use more levity. Yeah, I think just like yeah. a little bit of goofiness would serve it well. I think the problem is that he's coming into it so late. So like, mm-hmm. I think he's exploring an older Poirot. Yeah. And like, had he been doing these for years, maybe he would have done like... Started in a funnier place a fun and then moved to more. Over yeah. time it's, it seems like Kenneth Branagh... I always I got the impression from Murder on the Orient Express as well mm-hmm. that he was doing like, oh, Poirot is going to retire soon. Yeah, this is the, the, the end of Poirot's yeah. career, basically. Where, which, which is also weird then to start with Murder on the Orient Express as your point where it's, well, Poirot's kind of winding down because it feels like at that point, that character, it, it, it does make sense in terms of a character for it to be like, he's seen everything at this point, but he is so flummoxed by the fact that 12 people killed one person that it just like shatters him. I think that's very fine, but the fact of the matter is we haven't seen a Poirot before this, you know, so it's kind yeah. of like starting at the end and never showing the beginning, you know, so I think yeah. it's perfectly fine to ramp up to the point where yeah, he like becomes but- broken down. Yeah, but I think yeah, I think the overall problem is like to to approach like oh the humanity of things is starting to hit Poro harder than it used to in his younger years is harder because this is the first time right you've never seen, seen him before right we don't so. see him carefree yeah but right. I think it could easily if you again if you've been doing Poro movies for a while it could be that like he's handled much more gruesome murders than this but for some reason like. It's like a... It's just adding up. It's now, a straw yeah. breaking the camel's back yeah. situation where it's like, it's just adding on. It's like wearing a toll and suddenly it's just like, man, I... I, I gotta get out of this. I can't yeah, take like, it so well anymore. Yeah. yeah. This is... Humanity sucks, man. Right. Which, <laughs> which, which yeah, I think it's like a perfectly valid yeah. um, way to take the role. But again, it doesn't it's really hard. work because you never saw anything before this. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's what I got. I like it. No. I like it. Uh, I don't have a lot of concrete thoughts as much. I don't. I didn't write a lot of notes, but I had some ideas. Yeah, I don't know. I I know that like love is a. I don't. I don't think I want love this. is a battlefield. Love is love a battlefield. Is I feel like annoyed by how many times the message about love is hammered home. Like, I feel like we reveal that <laughs> Bowers and uh, Don French and Jennifer Saunders are a lesbian couple is like unnecessary because it's played as a reveal, but it's like it does nothing for the narrative right. other than like add another score for love being dangerous. So, so yeah, no. I, I guess the other thing I was thinking of real quick when you said it the first time, I do agree with you. I guess the idea. I guess like the way you could do it, or the way maybe even Bronick wanted to do it, is it sort of crosses them off of the. Sub- Suspect list almost I because guess, like yeah. what you're doing is you're trying to account for the fact why wasn't she in her yeah. room at the time then you find out oh she wasn't because they're actually secret lovers I think you could play it as okay. like I know what's going on now and like that's okay I won't tell anyone but instead it becomes this people will go nuts for love yeah it's like well just no they're just living like, they're just life. like they're too like too limited love like yeah. like they're not doing anything that nutty but he's, he's just, again Bronog and Poirot in this movie are really hung up about love yeah. I don't think I want to be as hung up about it so I don't know that I want the 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 flag flashback at all if there's a flashback i like the world war one flashback more i in, do too. in terms of what i like it's i think it's shot well i think it's interesting to see poor what he was like before the movie and i think that if it you keep it in then it has to have something to do with the mystery and how he solves the mystery mm-hmm. something about how something clicked in his brain in world war one during that battle with the pigeons or with the birds 
is important during Death in the Nile. Mm-hmm. And it's and maybe it's not like a specific like ah wind changes, but right. it's more just like a general a general like it almost just triggers something in his It triggers yeah. something. Yeah. Or like a, a revelation about humanity as it were, where uh-huh. it's like, ah oh, well this will happen like or maybe it's the fact that his captain tripped over the damn thing afterwards because he was an like an egomaniac or you say something about the way the captain behaved. But uh-huh. something about I think it should be a real a reveal about humanity, not not like a specific like You did sci- X and this reminds me of yeah. And that reminds me of how this person killed someone else. Right. I think it should be so he learned something about humanity in that scene that becomes relevant later on in a Chekhov's type scenario. So I would keep that if anything else. Mm-hmm. Then I would go straight I would, would maybe show the the death scene. But I would show Catherine showing up at the end of World War One and I don't know why I would do this. This is maybe stupid. <laughs> but I I kinda want her to be I think I just wanna have like a this is just a Distraction, mm-hmm. but I want to have her be like, when the war is over, let's go to Egypt or something. Okay, right, right, right. And right, then, right, right, right. like, maybe you show her dying, maybe you don't. I don't know, but it cuts to like modern day. He's in, he's having his Jaffa cake yeah. by the pyramids, <laughs> and Book shows up, and we don't know anything else. Uh-huh. We don't know that he's there to investigate Book. We don't know that they that these couple. We don't. We've never met Lynette. We haven't met Lynette yet. Uh-huh. He just meets Book first thing, and he's like, Book, what are you doing here? I, it's similar to the first movie where it's like, I'm suddenly I meet old friend and oh we're going on a train now right. let's go on a train so it's going to be like that where it's like he's on a vacation in Egypt he stumbles into an old friend Book is like let me introduce you to my guys and my girls this is Lynette this is Simon she used to be engaged to someone he used to be engaged to someone else now he's not really scandalous but what he learns this whole backstory and then Lynette is like oh yeah this fucking girl Jackie has been like following me around she used to be friends you know I kind of stole her man so it's not so chill anymore so that and it, it's all again through flashbacks that again, maybe we talked about having them be colored through the character's perception. Mm-hmm. So Poirot wasn't there, or we don't see him being there. And maybe that could be an interesting reveal too, like later on, is like how they're explaining their relationship in the past with Jackie and, mm-hmm. and whatnot is interesting because no one knew that Poirot was maybe there during some of those scenes yeah. because he was watching uh, Salome, Salome yeah. and uh, Rosalie. Um, so yeah, the audience is learning about this stuff with us. Mm-hmm. We're all learning about it for the first time. And I think the rest of the movie plays outside similarly. I think I also... Nobody wants Book to die. It's no. stupid. Yeah. It's lame. I want Book to come back. We all want, yes. movie. We all want Book to live. It's too late for him to come back for the next movie, but, you know, Book, Poirot needs a friend. Yep. Um, and I guess he needs a reason to feel sad, I guess. I don't know. More reasons to feel sad. I don't have a problem with the movie being a bit sad. I kind of like that it's about an older detective. I think it does suffer from not seeing him in younger years. Yeah. I would go with those changes pretty much and just like cut out showing all of that. I think it would save some time and then you would have a lot more mystery as to what the fuck is going on because we weren't there for Mm -hmm. all of these things that we saw. Chris Topher? I very much took this in a in a kind of a different direction because <laughs> I was trying to be like, well, I want I want to keep the same basic structure of the story, not the like super long beginning, but just in terms of like why people are like I like the idea that basically a couple pretends to break up so that one of them can get with a rich person and then they like conspire to kill them and run off with the money. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason why I loved the World War One flashback is because it's so leaning into a like very recognizable kind of older period film pastiche style and mm-hmm. I really like that. So what I'm thinking is there is a movie within the movie. It is a movie adaptation. It is a movie about an adaptation of Death on the Nile being made. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
I think part of this also might just be uh, Radio Lynn Murders, like, slightly stuck in, like, earworm. And Get it out of your head, Chris. Um, so I kind of want it to be under the cover of the plot of the film that they're making. And I think that's why it's also, like, kind of, like, cheap-ish sets. It's not great CG work around it. I want the murder, an actual murder to happen within this very like heightened, super campy version of this movie. I just think it would be a lot more fun to kind of lean into the style of it. You can even have really dramatic black and white sequences. You could do a moment like uh, Gal Gadot dressing up like a pyramid with a head on top of it just like makes more sense in a more like heightened, goofy, uh, stylized atmosphere. But yeah, that's what I got. Didn't they do a movie like this during, like a COVID movie? The Bubble. The Bubble. Isn't that what The Bubble is? It's supposed to be so terrible. Yeah, it's supposed to be a terrible movie. Worst, but the Bubble is, the bubble they're is like worse. doing a multi-million dollar They're doing a, blockbuster. They're shooting a big movie and, yeah. and then things go wrong. On the yeah, set. and it's supposed to be awful. Yeah. It's supposed to be very bad. Okay, well, mine's going to be, the title is The Bubble, but good. <laughs> the Good Bubble. The Good Bubble. It's in the good verse with the good doctor <laughs> and the good lawyer. Did we have anything else to... Oh, yeah, we did. Would you recommend this movie? I don't know. I think it's probably kind of more competent than Orient Express for me. Like, I feel like it's a little easier to kind of solve. I think also, as Lee said, it's perhaps too easy to solve the yeah. mystery of this one. But I think more so than Orient Express, it allows you to kind of do the detective mm. work, I think, which is kind of a good thing. But on the other hand, I do think that, you know, a lot of the dodgy CGI backgrounds really kind of get mm-hmm. to me. It's it's a faint maybe, I guess. Let's be honest, I'm going to fucking see A Haunting in Venice. Like, of course I we will. So the like, trilogy. Yeah, so we'll like, probably do it on this Yeah, podcast. we'll probably do it next year. But yeah, I guess that's like a faint recommend. Like, I think it's a little bit better than Orient Express in some ways, but I don't know. I think in some ways, yes. I just think the cast from Orient Express was better. Oh, unquestionably and I had better, much yeah. more fun with them. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm going to I'm gonna agree with your faint, maybe. I'm like, if, if you want a perfectly fine murder mystery flavored experience that goes down very easy, go for it. Yeah. yeah, I'll join the faint maybe. The faint maybes. Well, Lee Delhanty and the faint maybes. They're very lightheaded. To huh? They're very lightheaded. Those faint maybes. Yeah, they are. I fully expected to like tune out during this movie. I had like my uh, switch next to me, and I was like, I'll just do mindless Zelda tasks while this movie's playing, and I didn't. So I was I was engaged. So the movie mm. kept a level of engagement I didn't expect it to keep. So I'll give it that. It's not torturous. It's, it's, no. it's a bit, it felt a bit long. I remember pausing. It does feel a bit, I, I mean, again, yeah. I think that's the whole like act one issue. But I yeah. remember pausing it, early on and I was like, it's, it's 30 minutes had gone by and the bar, the, the, the boat still has completed bar yeah. was far less. It was just, it's over two hours long. Yeah. I was like, oh, I got a lot left. I think it's like two hours. It's two and change. Two yeah. hours and a bit. But it does, I think again, because of, like the lumpy longer. structuring, it feels a lot longer than it actually is. It's yeah. like, um, as directed by Nancy Myers. <laughs> All right. Great. We'll be back in two weeks. With a mini. The mini, where we talk about our next movie. Facebook.com slash Why Which Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on uh, Spotify and probably Amazon. Yeah. Well, we're just buying this out, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.